Um, okay, so picking up from where we left off last week, I just wanted to uh, ask you about the experience in Swansea and and how people, I suppose, minority um, people were treated in Swansea. I suppose non-white people were treated. Yeah. Now, I can only speak about the university campus. Uh, I don't know what their experiences might have been if they went into, if they were downtown Swansea or in the main streets or that. But there were so many people from uh, the Far East, the Middle East, from Europe, uh, studying in university as postgraduate students and certainly as undergraduates too. But I can only speak about the postgraduates because that's where we were and where we lived. The accommodation was specifically for postgraduate students from abroad studying in the university. So it wasn't anything remarkable at all. But but that almost leads me to think that you didn't have a, you didn't spend a lot of time outside of the campus almost, right? No, we didn't. No, you're right. We didn't really. No, when 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 we were doing placements, you know, as as social work students, we had to do placements or to experience practical experience in um, agencies, and they were all outside. Obviously, like my first one was in a place called uh, Clondilo, which wouldn't be too far from Clinetley. You might have heard of that. There's, there's, it's a big rugby place. Um, and then I was in near, it's near Camarden. All of that now would be more inland from Swansea. Swansea's on the coast, as you know. This would be much more inland. And then my second placement was in the university, the, the hospital. Um, it was called Morriston Hospital, a very large general hospital in Swansea itself. So, um, but I never saw any, uh, any uh, signs of racial discrimination. What about um? You mentioned, I suppose you had an Iranian boyfriend. How how was he? Like, did you see anything with him, Mustafa. or was it was it largely your Mustafa? Time? Yeah, his name was Mustafa. Yeah, he was from Esfahan. It's the second largest city in um, Iran after uh, Tehran is the capital. Um, no, he never said. But you see, a lot of the Middle Eastern guys were. Um, they wouldn't, you know, they'd be sort of nicely tanned or brown with very dark hair and brown eyes. There was a good few guys that I, there was one or two guys I knew from Turkey, one guy from Ankara. And then uh, I knew some guys from um, um, Jordan because Mohammed was a guy I knew very well. Now he was from the capital and he was doing social, he was doing community development and they had some of their lectures with ours. With us. So, um, um, no, they never said. Mm. No, maybe they just stayed, stayed within the you know their own friends or the people they got to know within the the um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know the the faculty or the actual course they were doing. But I never picked up on it, and I don't remember any of them ever saying anything to me about it. Yeah, and and. Um on on Mustafa, I suppose. How did you meet, and uh, like, when did you realize you were uh, kind of dating or going out? Where did we meet? He lived in the same um, um, accommodation block as I did, and I don't know how I met him. To be honest, I can't remember how I met him. 
Um, maybe somebody else introduced us. And, uh, and like, he just asked me out one time. He was a bit shy at the beginning um, because uh, I suppose he had never dated um, a European, a Western person. And he was... Um, he, he, I only found out a long time afterwards that his father was a very important guy. He was an Ayatollah, you know, they're, they're sort of a religious leader within their within their uh, country. And uh, he, the one thing I remember, he used to get quite annoyed if he was if he was if he was lumped in with all the Arabs, like the people from Saudi Arabia, or, you know, Jordan or the other countries, because they'd be very clear that they weren't Arabs. The Iranians saw themselves in some ways as a kind of a, a class above the others. What, so what, they would consider themselves just Iranians? They, they, Iranians, yeah. Persia, like the old country of Persia, which would have been a very important country, really, in terms of culture and history and development in, in years gone by. So he all he was a very gentle person. I, I'm sure I have pictures of him somewhere. Very gentle and a very nice guy. And I was very sad leaving him. You know, I think if I hadn't already committed to working for the the state here for two years, um, because they paid for my course in Swansea and they paid my maintenance and that. And so I had to commit then to work with them for at least two years. If I hadn't that commitment, I am, I'd say, 95% sure that I'd have gone back to Iran with him. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in a way, it was good that I had to come back. I remember well, I left with... Kate must have been over-visiting for some reason. And when I was leaving to come back to Ireland, and I had a small little Fiat, a cream-coloured Fiat 500, tiny little car, kind of like a Mini. And... Um, I um, had ever the car was packed and there was Kate was in the car and then there was a friend of mine she was from Mayo but she was on the course with me Evelyn and she I was going her lift back because she was actually coming back to Cork as well and um, the car was absolutely packed and um, it was a horrible day it was very wet and windy and I was driving and the, uh, and I remember driving into the um, driving to the ferry to get the ferry home to Cork and I cry my eyes out as I was driving the car along. The others didn't know what to say to me or do with me or anything. So it was very sad. I hated leaving Swansea. I just hated it. Because Mustafa was still there and he had another year of his postgraduate course. So that was, I suppose, the end of August of 1976. And... I started work then in child protection in the health board in September. So just before that, did 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 he did he ask you to come back to Iran? I can't um, I can't remember. It was kind of an unspoken thing, I suppose, Cahill. There was an assumption, but there was there was an assumption that it, that it was impossible for me to do it. First of all, because I had this commitment to come back to Ireland, you know, and I couldn't get out of that. It was a legal thing. I had to sign this thing that I'd have to come back. So, like, that was that was the end of that. And I suppose, but I'm only saying from my point of view that I would have gone back. Now, whether or not I would have been acceptable in his culture, I think I would have found it very hard. 
And anyway, I came back thinking that I'd be still seeing him. And I did see him again. I came back in September, started work. And then in October, 24th of October, I met your dad at um, a Cayley in St. Francis's Hall. That's down there by the Maltings, you know, in um, in uh, near near Grattan Street, near the Mercy Hospital. Yeah. Do you know where the back the back of the Mercy Hospital? I do, kind of. Yeah. Grattan Street, and there used to be a hall there. Actually, there was a pub there then. You'd probably know it as a pub. Uh, in more recent years, but in our day, in the seventies, it would have been a place for dances and Kayleys and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, your dad before, there a lot. before we jump into that, just to close the book on um, Mustafa, was it always? Well, I'm not finished with him yet. You see, that's All what right. I'm saying. Okay, yeah. pardon me. See, on you go. So, so I was one one Sunday night. Then I'd come back from McCroom with Kate, and Sheila must have been in the flat. Kate must have. Was Kate doing? She was still around, you know, I don't know, I don't know what she was doing. That's it. Maybe she was in college. And she and her friend Eileen Casey, who later died of multiple sclerosis, they were going to this Cayley and they asked me would I come and I didn't want to go at all. I had no more interest in going to the Cayley than the man in the moon. So anyway, I said I would. And I just went to satisfy them because they were saying, come on, come on, come on. And... So I did, and I was a bit interested. And like you know, the story then of how I got the dance because, you know, we've been to- we've taught you so many times, you know, of that I was a bit small, as you know, and there was in this in in those days, in in dances, the girls would be at one side and the guys would be at the other, and then the band there was live music, and they'd say, "No, we'll have such a such a dance or whatever." Like it might be a waltz or it could be. Um, some Kaylee dancers like a CJ Venice or all that. And the men then would go across the floor and we, the, the ladies, the girls, would have to wait to be asked to dance. So like it was a, you you would have what's called a lady's choice a few times during the night. So it was reversed and we could go across the floor and ask some guy. So I, I, I as I always say, and I was there and I was a bit interested. And this, this, this the get the lads came across the floor, and Pat was one of them, and he made to um, ask a tall girl in front of me uh, for a dance. But before he got to her, some other man got in first, and she went off with him. And there he he was then, looking at me, and I suppose he just said, "I'll just go for the next one in line," and that was me. And and he asked me to dance, and. And then at the end of the dance, we said, bye, bye-bye, thanks very much. And then he came back again for another time. He was quite nice. He was really, as I always say, <laughs> and Maureen says, this is dreadful, Mom, you shouldn't be saying this. But I always say, he was really the best of a bad lot <laughs> that night. <laughs> and she says, that's very mean, Mom, you shouldn't be saying that about Dad. So then at the end, he said, would you like, would you like to to come out some night? And I said, yeah. So really, I got quite interested after that. And then in the spring, that's why I'm coming on to Mustafa. In the spring, Mustafa asked me to come back. I was still in contact with him to come back to Swansea. You see, you get me now. Yes. After the Christmas, it must have been maybe February or March. And Mustafa asked me to, and I did. I went back. 
I suppose I was kind of curious to see how I'd feel about seeing him again, you know, having been way out with Pat in the meantime. And I met him and really, I really felt very little. I said, that's brilliant. I know now I'm, I'm going to go with my Kerry man. And I just said goodbye to Mustafa and that was the end of him. And he went back to Iran and I never heard from him again, I'd say. Yeah, and probably good to know, really, I suppose, right? Yeah, good to know and a nice guy. But my life would be, when I think of it, it could have been very, very difficult. Um, I wouldn't know what I'd be letting myself in for going to a country like that. So, and, and ju- just one question more on it: Did like what were your what did you tell your parents about it? Is and what was their reaction to you dating a man from Iran? Well, they only saw him. I didn't. I just said this guy from in Swansea, and I actually didn't say he was from Iran. You know, I just said he's from. He's in Swansea, and he's a student. But I don't think I ever said he was from Iran. And they didn't ask many questions. I suppose they felt she's back here now. She has to stay for two years, so that'll be the end of that. And like, oh, you know, it's hard to know what would happen if I hadn't met Pat when I did, or. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what would have happened. You know what, what life dishes out for you if you hadn't gone to that fancy dress party call um, in in Swansea that night. You wouldn't have met Katie. It's the same thing. Sydney. Sydney. What did I say, Swansea? Yeah, Sydney. Yeah. Yeah, no. So Good point. I left Swansea in the spring of 1977 having visited him and I said no. There's nothing there now between us. I'm very happy to go back home. And I settled very much when I came back then. And I got quite involved with work and I kept going out with passion. Then... Where where were you living? I was living in College Road, myself and Sheila. And another girl, Evelyn, were living in a a flat in College Road. It seems like whenever you came back, Sheila had a spot waiting for you. Uh, no, we had it before I left. Before I was working in Cork the year, a year for a year before we left, before I went to Swansea, okay. and we were still in the same apartment. We were in that same place for years and years, Carl. Where was it in College Road? It was um, right. Do you know the pub called the Rock? No. At the corner. No, you don't. Do you know there was a Chinese at the corner? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, about maybe six or seven doors up from that towards the college. Also, more or less where yourself and dad had a house across the way, right? Yeah, very, very near there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it was yourself? The same terrace. It was the same terrace. It was yourself and Sheila and... And this girl... From Butterfield, her name was Evelyn. Evelyn Thornhill. Not the one that was from not the one from Mayo, Evelyn. No, she's a different girl. Okay. All right. So you sound like you settled you settled easily when you came back again, and um, when you came back from Swansea. I was I was quite unsettled for the first five or six months, uh, but. I had to go back to see, to check out my feelings and to see what it would be like meeting him again. And I was, it was just made very clear to me. I was very certain and I was very, I felt very good coming back home then. 
Yeah, but but were, like you were already home, right? You were working already, correct? Oh, I was. I was yeah. back home. Sure, I had to come back because I was to start work in the September, and um, yeah, I had to come back for two years. I was committed to that. What was what was the role when he came back? What was sorry, Carl? What, I don't get that. What was the job you went into when he came oh, home? Oh yeah, child protection. So that would have been children at risk or children who are being abused or uh, and the, the whole area of uh, fostering, you know, if they weren't, they couldn't stay within their own families, uh, we, then we'd have to take them into care, either to institutional care or uh, foster homes. So you would have a lot of contact with foster families. And um, I was in that for about three years before I moved to the hospital. Just on that, how did you find... I guess the introduction to you know really difficult, sad, you know, uh, life circumstances. How did you adapt to it personally, or did it affect you outside of work, or you know? Uh, not until I had children myself. Um, I suppose when when you're dealing with children and you don't have children, you can to some extent have more objectivity because you've never felt, you've never been in that situation where you've had to care for a child, you know, give birth to a child, get up at night with a child. It's, or even to understand, really understand the needs of a child, the needs of, you know, the emotional needs that they have apart from the physical needs. But um, I found it very difficult once you were born. And all the others then as well. Very difficult. So so the same type of cases didn't affect you prior to having children as much as it did after no. children? And really, and really, you know, I mean, I was quite young doing that kind of work. I was, I suppose, 25, 24, 25. And, you know, all I had was theory, Cahal. I had no practice. I had no experience of children. So in a way, uh, it was... I suppose it was good in that I was able to be objective. It was bad in that I hadn't a clue at times what some parents had to put up with. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And uh, I suppose coming back to Cork, and you've kind of described meeting Dad, but I suppose how, like, take me on the journey, I suppose, from that night in 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 October to you know when when did it become kind of oh this could be long longer term like this could be more serious than than just dating yeah I suppose I suppose when I came back from when I came back from Swansea in the spring of seventy seven when I'd gone to visit a short weekend I went from Friday to Monday or something and um, when I came back then I suppose I was able to compare the two you know and I was I just felt I was much more comfortable. Uh, with Pat and that we had more in common obviously and there wasn't a cultural gap and it was just it was nice it was nice really and yeah I was very happy I was happy with it where was dad living at the time he was living (coughs) uh, in um, Bishopstown almost across from the Garda station in Bishopstone. There's there's a small few houses there near where there used to be a video shop. 
It's now a coffee shop. Remember the video shop next door to what we used to call Columns Garage? Extra Vision, yeah. Extra Vision, yeah. Yeah, just very near that. On the yeah. same same side of the street and everything. So he was living there. He had a kind of a, he had a little bit, so sure. And he worked in CLT. And, um, um, and then, I suppose, the following September, September 77, Timmy and Kathleen got married, either on the 2nd or 3rd of September. And I think Pat assumed that I'd be invited to the wedding, but I wasn't because, you know, Kathleen, Kathleen was so scatty that, that she didn't think of it. And um, I think he was very disappointed because he came back from Kerry the weekend before the wedding and he was, wasn't in good form and... Uh, I tried to find out what had, what was wrong, you know, why was he a bit down or whatever. And it was later I found out that uh, there'd been no mention of him bringing anyone to the wedding, even though they knew I existed. But then I I could say, I, there's another piece of me saying, well, he could have said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring somebody to the wedding. Is that all right? Yeah. So, anyway, that didn't happen. So, and, and, but just uh, going back, I'm kind of intrigued more about the time as well. Like when you were getting to know each other, like what was a going on a date or meeting up like? Where did you go? Or can you remember the early, the early, the early days or early? Oh yeah, yeah. The the, the early dates would be to the cinema, to a restaurant, to a, like a cafe. We rarely went to pubs because neither of us were that interested, and. Um, We'd, we'd go for long walks sometimes, which was usually either to the cinema or to a restaurant. Yeah, and I suppose <clears throat> probably kind of similar backgrounds, both grew up on farms yeah. and stuff. And Farms, but... yeah. No, he met mum and dad a lot sooner than, because the, Christmas, the first Christmas that I had met him, he had to drop me home for some reason. He met them that time. Oh, the Christmas so of se- Christmas of 70, 76. Okay, yeah. And when was the first time you then went down to Drum Uh Yeah, I'd say it was this, the, the Christmas after that. Oh, of 17. Because Timmy and Kathleen were married. They were married a few months, that's it. So I'd say it would have been around the Christmas of 77. Can you remember meeting Dad's parents? Like, were you nervous? Oh, I can. I was terrified. I was so apprehensive. And like we went down one night. It must have been a Saturday night. Maybe it was Friday night. And it was very dark. It was in the winter. And I had no concept of the mountains and how mountainous it would be. And when I woke up in the morning and saw the uh, the mountains, and they seemed to be so close, uh, I found it amazing. And But they were very nice. I was terrified, you know, because Pat had had been saying, you know, no, we have a tradition that you will actually be put up on a stool and we'll then all walk around you to to have a good look at you. And, of course, I, I knew there was a bit of me saying that's not true, but I didn't know what to expect, really. And, of course, that didn't happen. They were very nice. Um, Peggy and Mike, they were both very nice. I liked them very much from the minute I met them. And then Timmy and Kathleen were living there as well because they didn't have their house at that stage. So, are you all, and you stayed in the house as well? 
Oh, yeah, but in a room by myself, you know, at that stage, Carl, there was no such thing as as um, sleeping with your boyfriend or having sex before marriage in somebody else's house in particular. Absolutely, yeah. That's yeah, good, but, but, it sounded, but it sounded like Peggy and Mike were very warm from, from the very, very start. Warm. They were lovely. Lovely, yeah. Oh, yeah. How would you describe the? How would you describe their personalities? Um. Well, Mike was, well, funny, and you know, he was really into music, and he loved reading the paper, and he especially he loved reading about court cases, <laughs> court cases, and he'd be reading the Kerry Man and court cases in Tralee or in Listowel, and he'd be reading out, and he'd be reading them for Peggy, you see. She was, when you meet her first, she was quiet and a bit more serious, but she was so genuine, a bit like you or Katie, really. Uh, you know, if she was in a group situation, she mightn't say that much, but then when you were with her herself, she'd be very interesting and uh, and much more chatty and more outgoing. But she was, she had a great, she had a great presence. Do you know that word? You know, she didn't have to say very much, but she had this presence about her and she was so genuinely interested in everyone and everything and wanted to know about, you know, the sort of where we lived and the kind of farming we did and, you know, my brothers and sisters and, you know, she was just very genuine and she was, of course, she was so honest and very religious. Like, if you think I'm religious, she was so, her faith was so important to her. Yeah. So, yeah, she was a lovely woman. And, like, I'd always remember, um, oh, God, she'd have given Pat money to buy something. And um, uh, she realised in the change, brought back the change, and she realised that the man in the shop had given the, the wrong change. He had given her something, something like the equivalent of um, something like 5p or 10p over. And he, she insisted that Pat had to take that back into the shop and give it to the man. Yeah. That's the sort of honesty she had. And she they wouldn't have much money, but she always insisted on sending some money away to charity charitable causes. Hmm. But it sounds like coming away from the first time you were there, you know, it was it was a nice experience. Was, it was a very nice experience and I was very happy and they were very nice to me. And I never any was nervous anymore than go down. We got on very well together. Like the first time I ever had any disagreement with Peggy was when the divorce referendum was introduced into Ireland. And Pat and I were married at that stage, and I'd say you were probably born. Um, I was very much pro the availability of divorce, and she just couldn't understand that at all. I mean, I was just trying to say it was the availability so that people would have a choice. But you see, some people interpreted, no, I'm not saying she did. But some people like, interpreted it as as that was pro that I was pro divorce because I actually remember uh, we were living in Vipsy at the time. Yeah, I'd say you and Colin were born. I'll have to check up up on that. And um, this local group came to the house one night to um, ask me if they joined the group. They were they were an anti divorce group. Anti, sorry, they were anti-availability of divorce group. 
And I said, I'm sorry, I wouldn't be able to help them. And they said, oh, they were very disappointed. And I said, and they said, and why would that be? And I said, because I'm actually pro the availability. I think it should be there for people who need it. They couldn't believe it. So that was the first time I ever had any, not a disagreement, but we had to agree to differ about the availability of divorce. I suppose Dad was it was it was uh, his diplomatic best, was he? He was, yeah. <laughs> That's a lovely way of saying it, Carl. He was, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I suppose that was Christmas '77. At that stage, I suppose you you knew you were kind of serious, did you? Oh yeah, yeah, I did, I did, yeah, yeah. But I'd say I was more sure than he was. I think he was just being a bit cautious. Why do you and, say? Uh, why do you say that? Uh, have you a cough? A little bit, yeah. yeah. I I was very sure of my feelings. Uh, uh, and I suppose he was, in a way, I suppose he was right. He was seeing, you know, the seriousness of marriage and that, you know, it's a long-term commitment, at least he saw it like that. Um, and I did too. But I suppose I always felt that, you know, you can't get, you can't, commit to somebody and say that you will be with them for the rest of your life and that you, you, you while well, you promise to do everything you possibly can, there's no guarantee that you'll make them happy. You know, it's a huge commitment saying, I will guarantee to make you happy until either I die or you die. And uh, I suppose he saw the more serious part of it in the sense that that is a very serious commitment and it can't be taken lightly. And maybe that's why he was a bit more cautious. He wanted to be really, really sure that was the right thing for both of us. Yeah. So, like, was it, I suppose, when, when it rolled around, what was, was it around April of 79, something like that? Yeah, it was, um, we probably both knew, you know, a good long time before that, that this is going to happen sometime. But uh, in those days, um Women, they would know it would be different, you know. And today, and I mean, looking back now, I would, I should have said, well, how about us getting married or something like that? But I didn't, and because it wasn't the done thing. But um, we were coming up back from Kerry in May 1979, and I had no inkling that he was going to do this, absolutely no inkling. He just stopped the car and I said, Is there a problem? He said, No, I'm around to ask you something. And he didn't get out of the car down one knee or anything, which in hindsight, no, I I feel I missed out on that. But um, he just said, turned around, he said, I, I want to ask you something and uh, will you marry me? I couldn't believe it. So um, that was it. I said yes. And then I suppose we went to buy a ring. We were in Dublin. We were going to Dublin and we bought the engagement ring in Dublin. And... We were going to get married in that autumn, which we did actually that October. But we we wanted it to be September. But the CIT were hosting a very big international apprenticeship competition, and Pat was very involved in it. So it would have been too busy. So we put it off then until October, sixth of October, nineteen seventy nine. And when did you like? I guess at the time. You weren't living together then, were you? No, people didn't live together, Carl. Like you, you, 
you might stay over or you might stay for until the early the early hours of the morning, but you didn't live with somebody in nineteen in the 1970s. Uh, it would be scandalous. Okay, yeah, so it was only after, was he, when did Dad move out to Dripsy then? Uh, he moved out very early because he bought a caravan and he, once he got to know the neighbours and this woman, a neighbour of his, Mary O'Callan, she was very involved in the Camogie Association. Actually, she was president of the um, Camogie Association in Ireland and um, she had a farm and he bought this caravan and she allowed him to park the caravan in a yard that wasn't being used anymore. I'd say for nothing, really. And so he moved into the caravan once he started building his, the house. Uh, where was uh, where was this land that he was staying? Was it was it near... just very near to where the house in Dripsy was. Okay. Do you remember the house in Dripsy at all? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, and you remember, you know, the cross... Just below our house, there was a, there's a cross of four roads. Yeah. It was just on the other side of the road there at that cross. How would I describe it? Uh, it's not there anymore, no, Carl, because all that land was sold and houses were built on it. Yeah, but but he, he did, did he move into Gypsy before he got married? Oh, long, long time. He moved, I suppose, in 70... Maybe seventy, maybe summer seventy-seven or so. I don't know the exact dates. I'll have to find that out for you. Mm. And just yeah. going, just going back to the proposal. So it sounds like it wasn't, it wasn't really a thing where you, you'd almost be nagging him to propose. It was oh God, no! Oh God, no! I'd never, I'd be mortified doing that. But so it was just wait, wait. I think that happens. <laughs> yeah, I would say that happens, yeah. Gosh. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. Um, no, I guess I'm just more like, it sound, why was it such a big surprise? Just because it was so out of the blue? Yeah, well, it was just the circumstance of coming back from care. I never thought it would happen then, you know, there and then, coming back. Just coming back along the road from Kerry. Where was it precisely? Was it just around Healy Pass? No, it was very near the border between the two counties. Or going the other direction, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I meant, that I never expected there and then. You're always probably expecting it around, you know, even be sometime before that. Ever, I suppose, I was suppose, wondering what would have happened on the Christmas of 1778, uh, but it didn't. And then I thought, oh, I don't know, then, and then it went on to May and... But like, it was fine. Like we were happy, and and um, then when we got married, I moved into the caravan, and um, I we had at that stage the house was well on the way. It was more or less finished, uh, and we had uh, so we we had our bedroom and the bathroom set up in the house, but we had no kitchen, so we were still cooking in the caravan and eating in the caravan. Yeah, and, and just before going back to that again, uh, I suppose back in that time, w- w- you know, with a proposal, was it like it was? I suppose was it exciting, or did you celebrate, or was it just a, oh, and now we'll move on to the wedding? Well, we had three days afterwards. 
um, Pat had an excellent with a lawnmower because he was cutting the grass in Tripsy and whatever happened, I think he was wearing Wellingtons and the lawnmower went over the Wellingtons and they cut three of his toes and he was bleeding profusely and when they brought him into the hospital, a CUH wasn't open that long. Um, they told him that they'd probably have to amputate uh, at least two of his toes, his big toe and another one. There was three of them affected. They were very bad. Like They were like, you know, cut in two. You know, like the top layers of the flesh in that taken up. Yeah, I got it. And the surgeon, well, I didn't know anything about this. And um, the surgeon, anyway, decided that before they'd amputate, they'd try and patch them up together. And I got a phone call in that night saying that, if, I must have been from him, but he was out of theatre at that stage. I don't know who would have phoned me, saying that this had happened, and I came out to the hospital to him, and Sheila, Sheila actually was working in the hospital at the time, and she would have been a junior doctor. And uh, so I contacted her, and she went off looking for him, and she found him, in fact, he was on her list. She had, she was supposed to be checking up on this fellow who had his toes, but he, she hadn't got around to him yet. So they saved his toes, really. They didn't have to amputate them. So that put a stop to anything we were going to do. And um, he, because he was unconscious for a good while and he wasn't supposed to drive, but he did start driving, um, I suppose, a week or two after coming out, and he shouldn't have been. Uh, Sorry. And then we'd have gone out for a meal. I remember when he was well enough then, we went out for a very nice meal. We were out in, in um, there was a very nice hotel in Blarney at the time, but it's gone now. And um, we went out there. And we went out to Kerry, and we went out to Mum and Dad. And, oh, it was lovely. Like, that was me and then you see you know people say oh why did you get married so quickly but like there was no reason why we wouldn't it was we were certain and October was fine and in those days it was very easy to book a hotel and book a band you could everything you could arrange everything in a few days and how did you decide on the venue on the venue we wanted oh uh, well the the church was Gugan Bar as you know and that was Pat's choice because the first time he had seen the church some years before he met me, uh, he said that if ever he he got married, he'd love to get married there. So I said, fine, I had no feelings one way or the other. And uh, then we, the hotel was sort of chosen because it was just an equal distance, not really equal. The carry people had to come further, but it was to accommodate both sides. You know, the people from Kerry and the people from McCroom. And like Ballyvonia would have been, not to have been nearer to the people from McCroom, but coming from Kenmare, it wasn't too bad either. And and what's what's your memories of the lead up? Was it, or was it, was there much to prepare? Uh, there wasn't a lot really. Um, there was there was a lot. I I can't remember. We 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 booked the hotel. And then we booked the band and we booked the church. It's like 
it wasn't a big deal at all, really, at the time. I remember thinking, we have loads and loads and loads to do, but we didn't. I suppose what, what took more was saying, buying the dress and the bridesmaids and who'll do what and that kind of stuff, you know, which was exciting. I enjoyed it. I remember the day I bought my wedding dress, was so the most beautiful dress, and it was very expensive. At the time, it was very expensive. It wouldn't be expensive now. But it was one of these dresses, and Katie now will understand this. You know, it didn't look, it looked very plain dress when you compared with a lot of other dresses around it. But when I put it on, it was divine. I loved it. Where, and I remember, sorry? No, where was that? Uh, it was somewhere in the city, but I can't remember the name of the place. It's long gone, no car. Yeah. I'm getting tired, Carl. So <coughs> no, I think you. I think we're I think we're more or less finished up anyway. Um, I'll tell you more about the wedding, the day of the wedding, and all that the next day. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. No, I think yeah. we 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 got some nice stuff there, and um, not quite interesting. Just even the, um, the I really like the, the the time when you met Dad's parents, and just your your thoughts on Peggy, um, and yeah. Ma- Mike reading the the um, the court cases. I thought that's interesting. How did you? Yeah. How did you find? He played. He played. He played the motor organ. You know that. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. How did you find a house? Like, was it was it a typical country house kind of thing? Yeah, typical country farmhouse. Very something. In fact, it was cozier and warmer than our house at home because it had a range which we never had. A range now would be like um, a naga cooker or. Um, Yes. Uh, you know where the fire is in the in a stove, and you can cook on the top. Yeah. Yeah, they had one of those. We didn't have one of those, so I said, "Oh, this was very modern." And um, it was very cozy and warm, and they they always had a great fire of turf. And uh, very nice. Yeah. Peggy yeah. was Peggy was a good baker, but even at that stage, she her arthritis was bad. Carl, her hands uh, were very. Uh, twisted and all her fingers were you know all her were, were stiff and her knuckles and that they were all stiff and her I didn't see them at the time but her toes and that were all were similar you know it was very hard yeah. she had a lot of pain yeah yeah of course yeah so we'll call it today so Carl and I, if you think 